Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I'm so psyched to have my uh, friends, Sean Feeney and Missy Robbins here. Um, I got to know Sean uh, over the last couple years and Missy uh, right afterwards. They are the partnership behind two of the best restaurants in New York and I would say in the country, uh, Lilia and Missy. Missy's the, the chef and Sean is the business person in front of house. But their story of how they came together, where they were in their lives when this all started happening is inspiring and fascinating to me. And uh, also any excuse I get to spend time with them is great for me. So uh, welcome to both of you. We're so happy to be here. Missy, I'm going to try to talk less than I usually do on the (laughs) podcast because there's two of you, but also because um, I, I, I don't know that every people are that familiar with your story. And- even Missy in your bio, which it leaves out sort of, you know, it says, oh, you went from Avoce where you were a famous New York chef to sort of figure out your new restaurant. But I, I really wanted you to talk about what really was going on in those couple of years and, and, and uh, which I know you've written about some, but I would love to Absolutely. hear you talk about it because so many of us struggle with so many of the same things. So in terms of, you know, figuring out who we are as we're, trying to move forward. So can you just talk about your journey to New York to cook? And I don't care if you talk for 10 minutes, but just talk about how you got to uh, that place. And then we'll bring Sean in and how 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 you guys came together. Yeah, definitely. I, I at the point that I left Avoce in 2013, I had been cooking for 20 years. And I needed a break. And I didn't there were a few things going on. I had this incredible 20-year career. I had done all my training in New York for the most part. I had gone to Italy to to kind of delve into that world. I came back. I worked at a hotel called the Soho Grand, which many people don't know I worked at, and it was actually a, a kind of significant part of my career from a from a business perspective and understanding manage, management and numbers. And um, I then got this incredible job in Chicago uh, working with Tony Montuano at Spiaggia and took off and left for five years from New York, which was tough for me, but I knew it was the right career move. And I knew in order for me to be, get back into fine dining from, from where I was, I wasn't going to be able to do that in New York at the level that I could do it in Chicago. And I just, I loved Tony when I met him. So I picked up, I moved to Chicago, but about three weeks after Chicago, I kind of, in Chicago, I kind of knew that it was never going to be my long-term home. But I stayed for five years because of the job, and my brother lives there, and he had both of his children when I in the first year and a half that I was there. And there was a lot of exciting things going on, and it was worth staying until I found the right thing in New York. And I, I thought that right thing was going to be going back and opening my own restaurant, and Tony was going to help me. And I was flying back and forth to New York and looking at real estate, which I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and then this job at Avoce came along, and it was an incredible opportunity to both take over the original Avoce, um, which opened in 2007, and I took it over in 2008, and to open the Avoce in Columbus Circle, which was curating this incredible collection of restaurants. And I was going to get to work underneath the place where Thomas Keller was, and at the time that seemed very exciting to me. Um, if you asked me today, it wouldn't matter, but... Um, so I took because this, that was the height of fine it dining. It was like the height of fine dining, and they were putting all these chefs in there, and and I felt included in in this weird way. And I was like, oh, cool, I get you to felt go. Picked. I felt picked. That's that's correct. Um, and I took the job, and it was really hard and really intense, and for many reasons. I I took over the original Avoce from Andrew Carmelini, who was the hottest chef in New York at the time, and. I was relatively unknown in New York. I mean, people kind of knew who I was from Chicago, but not really. And um, taking over that kitchen was probably the hardest thing I've done in my career, harder than opening either of the restaurants. What um, was hard about it? Not feeling picked. Um, I Andrew's staff was still there. Um, very talented group of people. Really, really amazingly talented. But they were so loyal to him, and and they stayed. Sort of, they were waiting for him to open something, and they stayed. Um, 
I think out of respect. They to were him. waiting for Lakanda to open. You? I think? mean, no one will say that out loud, but, but I. That, but I, no, this is crucial, right? Because yeah. you know you have a series of skills, and you're excited to make it your own. Yeah. And you walk in as a woman. Yeah. In New York kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> and how long until you got the feeling? Oh fuck. Uh, uh, four minutes. Um, <laughs> they, they just they were so loyal to him, and it was so obvious, and everything. How did it manifest? Well, AC, da-da-da. Well, AC, da-da-da. And yeah, and Chef Carmelie has been on this podcast, and he's a legend in New just, York. Just and has a very di- different and leadership style. Just understand Andrew and I didn't know each other, and this has nothing to do with, yeah, with him. It doesn't sound like it has it, I, I never him. met him. It was just like this feeling. And gradually, so that I started in September, and sort of by February, everyone had trickled out, and I started bringing in my own people. And the second I started bringing in my own people, and these were all new people. They weren't like, I didn't have a collection of sous chefs because I hadn't had this kind of position so I really had to build a team from scratch and um and once I started building it it was great I found the people that were right for me that really liked my food that wanted to be there and that makes a huge difference and and it and then things started rolling but then once I got comfortable with the first avoce I had to go open the second avoce which was a really large stage for me and sort of to me what I thought was going to be this like, if I screw this up, I- I'm dead in New York moment. And how and did this all affect you personally, though? Like, were you taking care of yourself? No, what kind of- no. So I stayed at Avoce for five years. And, and over those five years, I think I got progressively less healthy. And I was not aware of it. I look back at, at pictures of myself or Google myself once in a while just to remind myself of sort of where I was and where I am now. And I, I get pretty mad at myself and like, how, how could no one say anything? Why didn't anyone say anything? Why doesn't, why did, you know, my best friend who lives in California, she's the only one who said anything, probably the only one who could get away with saying anything. Um, but she at one point said like, I'm really, I'm worried about your health, but this was pretty towards, this was after I left. Um, and the decision to leave was, wasn't a hundred percent about health. It wasn't a hundred percent about opening a restaurant. It was this sort of, I don't, I need a break. I don't a hundred percent know why I need a break. I need to figure out what I want to do next. Avoce is not the right place for me. It, it, it forwarded my career in this incredible way. And I honed myself as a chef there and as a creative and right. as a leader. You were in the kitchen every night? I was there, yeah, every night, five, six nights a week. And how many hours a day are you working in that job? Mm, solid 12 to 14. Right. So um, it could be 14, six days a week. Yeah. Five to six days a week, Yeah, right? and it was really unhealthy. My body hurt. But to me, and and it's so weird to say this now, six years later, like to me, that was norm. The norm was you worked that much. The norm was it didn't matter if your body hurt because you were trying to be an amazing chef and you would do anything to, to be able to compete in that field. What and were the rewards of that for you when you're doing it, right? Because we, we keep doing behavior that's harmful to us if there are certain the rewards. The rewards were having busy restaurants and finally getting recognition that. after 20 years of being a chef. Right. The fact that you were called one of the um, best chefs in New York during that time. Yeah. And, you know, people were singing your praises. I would also say too that she was incentivized in a way where she had to meet these very finite goals and that's what she attributed success to such as reviews. If you got a certain amount of stars, you got a bonus. If you got a I Michelin star. I didn't get the bonus star, by the way. Well, if if you, you got a, later. If you got I mean, a Michelin later. star, uh, you would get a bonus and I think she was attributing success in those those very um, material goals. Well, yes. Yeah, so I mean, I started, was and I yeah, wasn't. Yeah, talk, like, talk it, about fundamentally, it. I just wanted to be the best of the best, and I wanted co- to compete on the level with all these great. Who were your heroes chefs. at the time? I mean, I, not even necessarily anyone in New York, but people I I had worked with in the past. I mean, I I worked for Anne Rosenzweig when I when I was in my twenties, and she was in her forties at the time, and was running these two restaurants and coming from Spiaggia where Tony had this restaurant that at the time I started was 25 years old and it just turned 35 and he had this longevity and sort of like the people I'd worked for but even like 
Andrew. Like I saw this well, notoriety that, that he had, and I saw chef. where yeah. he came from, and um, I saw a lot of younger people opening restaurants before me, and I had this goal. You noticed that. And oh, I noticed it because when I started cooking at 22, I was like, oh, I'm going to open a restaurant when I'm 30. And then that didn't happen. That's amazing. I never knew that part. Yeah, really? but it's like a silly goal because like, where did that come from? Where did I make where that up from? Where do you think from? that came from? Uh, ambition. Just pure ambition. I, I was an ambitious young cook. and, and But you went, to, you went to Georgetown, I right? Did. I and did. And not a lot of people from Georgetown ended up becoming cooks. No, there were two of us in the kitchen. He defected. The second one defected after a year and is in finance still today. Right. <laughs> a little more typical. Yeah, and I so think you... he had a lot of family pressure. And my family was like, do your thing. Do what you want to do. We support you. What made you start cooking? Like, cause, so, okay, I understand how ambition takes over because you're a Georgetown person. You're very smart. You're driven. If you're going to cook, you're going to be the fucking best. But when, when did you first get lit up about the idea? Of- it was like a long, a long kind of thing that my parents were really into travel and we lived an hour and a half from New York City and special occasions were always spent at old restaurants like the Four Seasons and I was into it but I was into it from a dining perspective I loved the whole thing I loved the service I loved turning over the dishes and seeing where they were from which I learned from my mother who grew up in the resort business I I loved just like looking at how the menu was written. I loved the whole thing. It wasn't just about food, but it was a meal in 1993 during Thanksgiving at Charlie Trotter's that kind of sealed the deal. And a friend of mine uh, who went, who I grew up with went to Northwestern and started cooking there after her senior year. And we ate there, my family and I, and I said at the end of that meal, okay, I'm done. This is what I want to do. And everyone kind of looked at me, was like, okay. <laughs> Did you know you had a different kind of palate at that time? No, my palate has taken years to develop. Really? I wasn't like innately, innately skilled. I was driven and I wanted, and I'm competitive, so I'm told by many people. Right. Um, and I wanted to just be the best. It wasn't about, I was good in the kitchen when I started and I and I moved okay, but I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to hold a knife. I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how, I didn't know how to do anything, but I, I, I was- what was the first job? Uh, my first job was at a restaurant above my college bar called 1789 in the Tombs, very famous and Georgetown. And you just had to learn how to I do I knocked everything. on the door and asked if they would hire me. And you hadn't really been cooking? I had never cooked. I'd cooked at home. I'd made pasta with broccoli. And that's it? Yeah. Unbelievable. But the competitive, and we're bringing you in in one second, Sean, but I'm really interested it's okay. in this you idea. Guys do it. No, I'm <laughs> really she's interested in this. I like I, when she's excited. No, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm really interested in this because uh, I've lived this thing where then you get the thing you want, the super high profile spot in New York City. There we go. And it doesn't bring you joy. No, after a I was pretty. I so, was, what happened in your head? Think, how did you accept? How did you. Start talking to yourself to realize. I think there was so much pressure. There, I didn't. I didn't necessarily have the support that I needed and the mentorship I needed. Um, and I think there were a lot of problems at the restaurant. I was never staffed enough. We had staffing issues, and I think all that pressure led me to not be the leader I wanted to be. Right, and led me to you know it trickles down if you don't feel supported then you're not supporting your staff and then your staff isn't supporting their staff and i just i just felt like i wasn't able to help people in the way i wanted to help them i wasn't able to mentor people the way i wanted to mentor them and i just realized like there there's no doubt in my mind i could have said, okay, I'm leaving Avoce and I'm going to go get a job. Of course. And and I just knew that, and, I, and I'll work on my restaurant or I'll do this. And I just knew something in me, I just knew that if I had done that, I'd end up in the same position five years from then. And so I knew that the only way to really, with clarity, make a decision about what I wanted to do was to just leave and have not a plan and take some time to myself. It's and a brave I, thing to do. A brave and some might say stupid, but I, you know, I thought I, I was making a really lovely salary at Avoce and I had more money than I personally had ever had. And yeah, to me- Because you couldn't, um, you're working 14 hours a day, you can't spend it. Right. And you were and single then? I was not single. But you were supported. You didn't have anyone I, else to support, no, no, or I you wasn't did? Supporting Doesn't mean you weren't supporting no, no, no. anybody else. No, no, no. Um, no. So I was single, and I was making a very nice salary, and I was making bonuses, and I, 
and I saved all this money. And to me, the bank account, and I'll never share how much it was, but the bank account looked really robust to me. <laughs> right. I was like, okay, I have enough to take a year off. But I didn't account for three meals a day. I didn't ha. account. Ha. I didn't account ha. for money not no more coming in. How many Pilates did you go to during three, the week? Three times. Yeah. Three yeah. times a right. week. You Sean. didn't count for three times a week Pilates. No, but it was awesome. Living and it in changed the West my Village, life. a lady of leisure. <laughs> right. I was having. I was. And having, you didn't know you were going to write a book then, or you did? No, the book came out of like, kind of starting to cook at home and going on Weight Watchers and changing yeah, my we'll diet. We'll talk about that a little bit, that you realize so you need to change. So after I quit, yeah, so quit. I realized I, three days after I left, I was like, okay, I was burnt out. I had never used those words before. I'd never acknowledged it that way, but I was like, hi, I think I was burnt out. And I just had kind of already committed to getting healthy, but I stepped on that scale and I was 198 pounds. And I was- How tall are you? Five, six. Right. I was heavy. And- and I felt terrible. I couldn't walk. My ankles hurt. My shoulder hurt. Like I had so many problems. And I was like, okay, I, I got to do something. And I had a free Pilates session. And I was like, I'm going to try it. I didn't see what it's like. And then I became like addicted. And I started going to a personal trainer three times a week. And it changed my life. But I wasn't, I wasn't losing weight because I hadn't changed my diet. And I wasn't doing enough cardio. So I was like, okay. And then a friend of mine, also a chef in Chicago, said, you should go on Weight Watchers. I just lost 30 pounds. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going on Weight Watchers. That's not happening. And then he's like, just try it. Please just try it. It's a game. You'll love it. You're competitive. Here's the competitive thing again. He's like, you'll love it. And I said, okay, I'll try it. Two weeks. If I don't lose five, if I don't lose any weight, I'm not doing it. I lost, I lost five pounds in the first seven days. Sick. And I was like, oh no, I have to stay on this. So I stayed on it for a year. And then you have to learn to cook in a way. Yeah, I changed. So talk about that. So I changed the way I- Because this is when you guys met. So yeah, talk about so that. so I started just cooking at home more and I Cooking just, differently or the same? Yeah, I cooked with the same flavors that I always cooked with, but I started thinking differently about how to cook and how to get that flavor into stuff with less fat. So like on Weight Watchers, for instance, you have- uh, a tablespoon of olive oil equals six points. I was allotted 26, or three points, sorry. I was allotted 26 points a day of food. That's not very right, much. Right. Um, and I was like, the first time, I had never measured olive oil before. Right. And the first time I, I went to make a pasta for myself and I put the olive oil in the pan and I said, oh my God, how am I gonna saute garlic? There's not enough olive oil in here. Like, what am I gonna do? And so I just started like thinking about it and I would add, instead of sauteing a lot of garlic, I would add anchovy paste or I would start like a sauce with tomato paste and water and add garlic to that and simmer it in it. And I just started, I just, I don't know, it became, it became a game to me and it became interesting. And I realized, you know, when I learned to cook pasta in Italy and at Spiaggia, you just finish it. You stand over the stove and you just throw butter in it and you're tossing <laughs> right. it and you're throwing more butter. And that's to me how you made pasta. And that's what I did at Avoce. And I stopped doing that. And I was like, wait a second. It doesn't taste, it doesn't taste worse. It tastes almost better and cleaner. Um, and also Weight Watchers really encourages eating vegetables and eating less meat and eating. Oh, is that how clean- you became, because your restaurant's. Yeah. Are so ve- they're not vegetarian restaurants, but they're so vegetable yeah, so forward started, in an amazing way. So I started cooking vegetables the same way I might cook pasta. So I would make broccoli rabe in tomato sauce, but I wouldn't put the pasta in there. I put an ounce of pasta instead of six ounces of pasta, and I just learned different tricks, and I and I felt better. Did that challenge? turn you on like did you like did you start liking this kind of cooking or yeah I was mean, it, it informed the menu at Lilia right no clearly yeah it did. so not only so did she the, not only did she start getting excited by it but it was also during this time where we were living together in this apartment building yeah talk about West where village. you yeah so, so so you're in this building in the West Village living your life living my best life figuring out who <laughs> you're gonna killing starting it. to starting to panic about money <laughs> but unapologetically I'm, I'm very yeah. panicked so you're panicking I'm a, panicked a year later I'm not 
panicked at the so beginning. So this time I'm you're like, not panicked. She, she literally is living Bobby Axelrod type of lifestyle. I, I was right. not living Bobby Axelrod type of lifestyle. No, I, I understand. I was, however, and I understand it wasn't a million dollars. I was having. Either, so, I was yeah. going out to lunch a lot. I was drinking Negronis on my my stoop. I was. I <laughs> before the I Weight Watchers are included in the Weight Watchers. And that was during. You can allot yourself a drink uh, once in a while. Right. Um. I, I, I traveled for a couple months, but at the same time, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And, and after, after I got back from traveling and after I realized like, okay, a year's almost up and I had nothing, that's when I started panicking. Okay. So <laughs> Feeney. Yep. So you're in Sean Feeney who I, I, now, so I'll just say, Sean, you know, you're a remarkable dude because you have this incredible ability one, you're obviously a great partner and um, you're good at recognizing what's exceptional in somebody and helping them bring it out and helping make the world safe for them to do what they do. You're incredibly focused on your family. You were, uh, you're an incredible connector of people. Your, your um, network of people rivals mine, <laughs> which is a, a rare statement, uh, I think, for, that I, I could possibly make. Um, but you were in finance at this moment of yes. your life. Like, so talk about where you were. What year was this? 2014. So yes. talk about where you were so, six years ago, um, what what your life looked like, and include your sort of hobby love of food what you were telling me about the other night at, yeah. at the game. But really give me an, a, a, I will a be, whole thing. I'll be as short as possible. You, so, don't, you don't have to be so short. So in 2008, I married my high school sweetheart, and we moved into an apartment building on the west, in the West Village on Grove and Bleecker Street. And it was right around 2009. And I was a massive foodie. I, I knew I traded bonds, and I always tried to lean on um, what I was good at. And I knew that to give myself an edge as a, as a market maker, I needed to have the best relationships, and that's what I could do. So I happened to do that really well in restaurants. And it started out me going to all the steak restaurants in the city and having the relationships with the owners, the maitre d's, the Did chefs. you grow up knowing a lot about food? I did. Very similar to Missy. Um, we were fortunate. And I think if you looked on a piece of paper putting Missy against me, there's no way we would be friends. We, like, we're just very different people. But what is very constant and extremely similar that you wouldn't know is that our family, mom and dad, um, had their biggest investment in family. It wasn't stocks and bonds, real estate. It was literally family. So a lot of that investment had to be done around the dinner table. Yep. On Sundays, we had massive uh, family parties at my mom and dad's house in the Jersey Shore. My dad had T-shirts made, Feeney's patio bar, and on the back, literally, this is going back to 1984, a sunny place for shady people. Like, it was just a, a hub of hospitality. Every night that we came home from school, my sister and I would have dinner with my mom and dad. We would wait till my dad got home, and we would celebrate, and also, all of life's challenges, we would go to restaurants, and my mom and dad made sure when we were of age, we would go on three vacations a year. So those vacations were also the first time that my mom and dad ever traveled to those places too. And they had to do with where the best food was, and, and they were very curious, and they wanted to challenge us too. So growing up, I just had this deep respect for food, dining out every night, whether it was going to Squan Tavern or uh, the Farmingdale House, which was a fine dining restaurant in Jersey. I just, I respected the, the, um, the hospitality and the food and the theater of it all the same way Missy did growing up with her mom and dad. And I think that when we finally did find each other and learned about each other, that's probably really what did it. And so my wife and I moved into this apartment building on Grove and Bleecker in 2009, and Missy had moved in a couple months before us to take over a voce. Me being this crazy foodie where everybody on the trading floor every day would say, hey, Feeney, where do we go for a romantic dinner in Soho? How did what, you hook yourself up at these restaurants in New York? People I, always want to know this. Like, I essentially, what does it mean to what, become, how do you become, before you were Sean Feeney and well-known, uh, how well, did not, you well become, all, well, in the I, New York food I world you are, I was more well-known back then because no, I spent so much yeah. of the firm's money and people were like, <laughs> no. who is that guy? No, but seriously, <laughs> what I, it, how do you become a regular at restaurants everyone wants to go? To. So, Go granular on so this. So yes, absolutely. For the first couple of years I was in Manhattan, I was going to all these steak restaurants and and I gained 40 pounds. My my grandmother would pinch me all the time and say, like, you were always so skinny. Definitely. Where were you going? Name uh, it, like Sparks? Sparks, Smith and Wally's, uh, Luger's, um, 
Bobby Vans. I mean, all of them. So you would go the to these steak places and you would get to know the matrix. How would you I get would, to know the people? I would How would you distinguish yourself? D. I would. I would know the entire story of the existence of this restaurant, so that when I would go to these dinners, I would run them. There would be twelve people at these dinners from the bank, but also all of our biggest clients. And I would run the show. There would not be a menu put on the table and they would treat us very well. And I ran it. And so then- Would you go there on your own and drink at the bar to get to know these people? For sure. You mean, so it was a conscious, I want to make this clear. This was a conscious- yeah, I feel plan very, on your part. Yes. I'm going to distinguish myself in the finance world yeah. by being the guy who can hook up restaurants. Yes. That was a plan. Because I felt so comfortable in the setting of food and restaurants. And I wanted the people to know when they came to dinner with me, yes. if I knew them, that they were going to be well taken care of. They were going to feel extremely comfortable. And they were going to feel like awesome. I And... I was essentially a maitre d'. Even though you were eating there, you were going to make the thing just work really well. And so you got to know, would you tip, now, would you tip the maitre d's in the beginning to get to know them? Oh, every December, people got. So once a year, you would take care of people. Yeah, yes. And that was something that somebody taught me early on in the business of just make sure you take care of people that are taking care of you. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. How much? (laughs) Right. And then when he told me, I'm like, I can't do that. But, so you like give them like I, 500 bucks? No, no, no. That, I mean, I'm sure the big guys did. For the Christmas did, time? But, but yeah, it would, be, it would be 100 bucks or stuff like that. And um, uh, always made sure that I was definitely tipping more than 20% at the end of the meal. Um, but essentially when they went home, the people that I was entertaining, yes. I stayed. Really? And hung out. And I became friends with them. And one of the nights, of a buddy of mine, uh, who's a bit older than me, Missy's age, uh, wow! A said bit, to me, wow. a bit older. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a bit, a, a bit. couple, a couple, ten years, whatever. I mean, I'm the oldest um, person here, so yeah. He he said to me, he's like, "Look, you you obviously really love this. Um, why are you going to all these steak restaurants?" And uh-huh. I was like, "This is 2005." I was like, "Well, I mean, what do you mean? This is what we do. We're in finance. We go to Sparks, Smith Wallies, you know, Cowboy, Ribeye, whatever." And uh, he goes, "Yeah, but we're in the best city in the world of." of food. So like, you had not been taking advantage of the rest of it. Go for it. You seem to be so passionate about the the whole experience. You are, you're really not seeing it. <laughs> so I thought about it that night as I was walking home and I just was like, wow, he's right. I got to go. So February 23rd, 2005, I went to Babo for the first time. Yes. And it changed everything because it was the best meal of my life. And I'll never forget every single bite I had. And after that night, I said, who do I need to know here? And it was John Manieri, who right. literally is the grumpiest man of all time. John's not easy. And I sh- shawned him, basically. And that was a term that Missy came up Whoa. with. When Whoa, did Lilia you just third person yourself he here? just that did was, it. That, you're like he the only, I mean, I've had very famous people on this pod who didn't Missy third person Missy can explain later themselves. where that comes from. But I basically <laughs> I know didn't, what you mean. I didn't yes. want to leave until John Manieri knew that I really loved the night and it changed my life. And I was going to come every single week, literally every single week. You said that to him that yes. night? And were, you, were you like, what do I have to do to come yes. here once and a he week? he gave me a number to this lady, Caroline, and I would call up on the first of every month, and I would make four reservations each month. And you showed up From at 2005 and probably till 2011, I went to Babo four or five times a month. But then my friend also took me to Masa, to Danielle and the Skybox. Wow. And I started seeing this, but I also... Um, had a wife in 2008, and she said, you cannot go out to dinner six nights a week anymore on this work stuff. I was like, I respect that, and let's do something else. So let's go on date night. So on Mondays, we would go to these West Village places, these hidden gems, and and I was learning those types of restaurants too. So I was building it. And, and then talk about what you guys, the food exploration you guys did together. You said you would do a year of... Oh, we would like, we would say, this year we're going after burgers. And we would just go attack burger joints on Mondays. Every Monday, we'd go to another burger joint. On Fridays, it was always pizza night at the Feenies, where we would pick a new pizza place in all of New York five boroughs and invite friends to say, we're going to John's on Bleecker. Meet us there every Friday night. And we did one year of just barbecue, where we literally just did a tour of America and made our trips. This is before kids. And we said, if we're going to do this. You decided, even though you weren't, ma- you, you started to make a lot of money, but you weren't making a fortune when you were very young, no, right? I never, I never, 
I never yeah, did. I, I know you weren't Bobby Axelrod, but, but I'm just yeah, saying yeah. you were. <laughs> yeah. But you were like, I am Let's ready. See, yeah, and I wanted to, to like do this because I love this. Had it occurred to you then yet? Never. It never did. It not even when we opened Lily. Right. It never did. So so I was doing all this reading and I was That's excited, amazing. crazy foodie, and and I learned that Missy was living in our building, not just in it, but like there was only three apartments. My wife and I were on the top floor. Missy was literally in the floor below us. And the um, landlord made this huge mistake of telling us. They used when, to love to when? use it. They, around it was oh, no, when they were selling apartments oh. or like leasing them, they'd be like, oh, and a chef lives there. Sure. And so in 2009, <laughs> when we moved in there. It's very effective. When I was buying, Amy and I were buying our, our apartment, we uh, went, walked in the elevator. We loved this place. We weren't 100% sure we were probably going to do it. And then we walked in the elevator and Fran McDormand and Joel Cohen were in the elevator. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, I was like, you guys live here? And they were like, oh yeah, it's great. And I got to the bottom, they walked out and I turned to the realtor and I was like, we'll take it. That was <laughs> amazing. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. As, soon as, as soon as he said, oh, amazing. oh, and by the way, there's a really well-known chef that lives below you. Her name is Missy Robbins. I was like, Missy Robbins lives below us? Like I just read this great article about a voce. So for the next two weeks, I signed a lease. For the next two weeks, I'm literally circling her door. Just trying to meet her. And finally one night. And you don't like, know, you just know this family. Was this a family at this point? Did you guys no, have any no, kids yet? Had, yeah, it was, it was Maria and myself. Yes, you. Yeah. And Mind you, I was never home. She I was wasn't. at work. Right, I left. Were... I arrived at Avoche every day at 1014. I left my house at 954. Right. Like literally yeah. at, at same, and by same the way, schedule every day. And then you'd be out. You wouldn't leave till midnight. And, and, right. midnight. I wasn't really home that much either. So whenever I was, I was trying to... I was trying to run into her. <laughs> and um, one day she was coming out of her apartment. I was like, hey, are you, are you Missy Robbins? And she's like, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm Sean. I live upstairs. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. I was like, you, you going to the restaurant? And she's like, uh, yeah. How do you know I am going to a restaurant? I was like, oh, um, yeah, no, I know, I know. I read about you. So that was 2009. Well, what do you think? Are you freaked out or it's all right? I'm like, who is this? I, I basically was like, I'm coming. Right. I'm coming to your He's restaurant. He's wearing a suit and everything. He's wearing a vest, I mean, most likely. Yeah, she, not even a vest back then. That was like, you called me like Vineyard Vines boy back then. <laughs> oh, right. So right away, I'm like, I'm coming to your restaurant. And um, so for 2009 until 2012, we only knew each other as neighbors. And I essentially was embarrassing to say a massive fanboy. Literally, like I would go to the restaurant at Avoche with. And would you come out and say hi if he was there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah she yeah. would be cool. And it, I felt cool. People there were like, wow, that's your neighbor. My parents would come in. We would go to the restaurant. And I tasted greatness. From the first time I went, I knew she was the best. Like I just, and it was biased because. And you had had this education too, because you'd gone to all. It was the first time Without ever, even trying to, you had made a sort of. Uh, built a palette. I could, I I was, yes, I was able to say, wow, this is different. This is another level. And some of these things that I'm tasting, I've never tasted before. The first time I ever had white truffles, all of these things, experiences. But that was our relationship. She would come out knowing that friends. I was the finance neighbor, nice guy, seems to be nice. And my wife- Make him look cool in front of his My parents, wife didn't really you know. talk right. that much. She was shy. And then 2012, the night that Hurricane Sandy hit New York City, I come home from work. And she's in our apartment hallway. And I was like, hey, what are you doing? She goes, I just, I shut the restaurants down for the night. I was like, oh, do you want to come on up for dinner? And she was like, well, you're going to cook? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to cook. And she's like, what are you going to make? And I was like, oh, I've been been working on a bolognese like all day. And she's like, you're going to cook pasta for me. You did say that? Yeah. And oh, I, was awesome. like, I was like, yeah, yeah, let's just do it. We'll hang out. And um, that was the night that we literally became friends. We had been living in that building for three years. I have so many questions because I've had chefs over for dinner and it's really uncomfortable. So, like, it's great, but it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And because, she, and so did, did, were you resisting the urge to get in there and help? Or no, did you make a decision, no, I'm not going to help? I, and I'm sure your other chef friends would agree with me. It is such a lovely thing when someone wants to cook for you. Yes. That you kind of don't care if it's good, if it's bad, if it's like whatever like it doesn't it doesn't matter and he i mean as you can see Sean exudes a little bit of confidence in yes. all passion in it's all, confidence. It's all all manners um no he was like into it also it was also by the way a blackout 
And he also, I had already started, I had had a few before I went to his house. I, I went out in you the afternoon. You started drinking in the afternoon when out, you knew the restaurants were shut. Let's just preface, I've yeah. now brought Missy, up drinking twice. Yeah. I don't need, I barely drink at all, by the way. I've, <laughs> seen, I've seen Missy with a buzz once in the 11 years. No, but I understand you shut your, really? your the, this. Yeah, it was That's that one so day weird. outside of our apartment, <laughs> you were drinking a Negroni out of like a at plastic four cup. four in the afternoon. But here, the um, hurricane's no, coming. No, the hurricane's coming. We had a few Negronis. The, the lights went out at at. Eight o'clock, I think. I'm on a diet now, or not a diet. I'm thinking of food differently. I can't say diet, but um, <laughs> so I haven't had a drink in, and I've been sick. I haven't had a drink in like a week. Do you feel me? I only drink a couple. Yeah, I only drink two drinks a week anyway. But um, and on my the way, I'm thinking about food now. Two drinks a week is fine. But Negronis are what I drink, and just even here, I've just tonight. <laughs> I'm having a Negroni. Done. I've just made the decision. Done. That I'm going to yeah. So literally that night, we're sitting around and we tell each other our life stories. And my daughter was one years old at that time. So she was sleeping. Marie and I are hanging out with Missy. She approved of my bolognese. Very good. She said, really, really good. She goes, do you want the pasta criticism? pasta was al dente? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very, like, I practice so hard at bolognese. Like, I obsessed about it. And I really wanted her to enjoy it. And she said, do you want me to be critical? I said, please. Like, I would, I would love you to be. And she... She was like, she enjoyed it. And I knew, especially now knowing everything, she would tell me if she didn't. Yeah. Because there was many moments where she's told me Oh, I've gotten in trouble a couple times. I don't want to hear. No, yeah. Um, But that's a part of it. But so what was, our lives changed that night because we became friends. And that was the night where she told us that she was most likely going to be leaving Avoce. I was shocked. But I was also sad because I heard why. And I heard that, of, of all the greatness that I've tasted every time that I was there, um, over the course of 20 years of literally putting her blood, sweat, and tears into this craft and becoming somebody who is mentioned in conversations, uh, only a few can be mentioned in. Well, yeah, I was going to say, at Avoce, Missy, you were, you, the thing you wanted to happen for your reputation did happen. You, Two Michelin yes. stars. You, yeah, yeah, you had there become was only, a yeah. famous chef. There was only 10 ever given to female chefs at the time, and she had two of them. Right. I, that's ins- Think about that. That's insane. So I was really sad to hear how kind of over it she was, but... I woke up that next day. I also tried to get her to stay over that night. I was like, just stay here. It'll be great. We have a, we have a, she's like, I live eight steps away from you. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So then that next morning I woke up and I was just thinking about like how bummed I was to hear that she was in that spot where she should have been so happy in life. And she didn't have that much to spend speak for it other than these great acclaim and stars and enough money to put away to to live a life of leisure for a year. And I thought that bummed me out. But then 2013 happens and I would come home every night from work and I started seeing this front row seat like Spike Lee seats at the garden of her reset uh, a refresh and then this would relaunch. you guys then check in on each other then you started buying oh, new yeah, friends yeah. I'm saying then once you would we go be- to each other's apartments you would cook would you yeah. cook for them sometimes I, yeah yeah for yeah, sure we would do a lot of like I'd call him and be like hey I made or like I'd text him and be like oh stop by on your way home I, I'm working on something kind of cool now that I knew we were friends it was game on right. and I was like oh this is awesome she's gonna be home all the time and I was home by my so I lived with someone at the time and um, she was also a chef, so she was and had just opened a restaurant, so she was not home. She very wasn't much. home. You were home alone yes. a lot because she was working. I was working. home alone a lot, and I was cooking. And and I don't fault anyone for that. It's just the nature of of the job. But I was home a lot and by myself. And I because at the point where this was happening was when I was starting to tone down the spending and realizing that like a for my health I wanted to cook at home, but b I also needed to stop spending so much money. Were you getting job offers during this time that you were well. This is what happened. When you leave a job and all these people start calling you and you say to them, you know what? I'm really not interested. Leave me alone. Please don't call me to like five headhunters. They don't call you. They stop calling you. And and that's where the fear comes in. So I wasn't getting job offers. I was setting up a lot of meetings with a lot of people and great people, the great restaurateurs of, of New York. I, I was very fortunate to be able to have meetings with them and and it was amazing. But I wasn't I wasn't getting the results I wanted. To, to be honest, though, in the beginning when she took off, she did not want to go into the restaurants again. Her initial reaction was like, 
I'm done. Maybe I'm going to be a therapist. Maybe I'm going to go back and do interior design. So you really she, thought you might be done as for, much as you loved for a, it. A yeah. brief for, moment for, for brief. For of a couple, that year. For, for a couple of months, I really sort of wanted to have this epiphany. And the therapy thing had always been in the back of my head, being a therapist. And, and I had always liked that role. And I liked that role as a chef also, which you play every day. And I sort of realized that I had hit this this level, income level, that I wanted to keep. And if I decided to go back to school and become a therapist, I was going right back. Yeah, very, very MSW, far down. it takes a I long just, time to make I that just, kind of money. It just again. wasn't, and it wasn't, it didn't seem practical to me. I'm, I, I was in my 40s and I was um, responsible for myself and didn't have like a backup for financially. And I, I just... I, I just didn't, it didn't seem right. And then I went through this stage of like, I met with a pretty big restaurateur and I was like, I don't even know if I want to be a chef. And he was offering me like a really big job. And I was like, I, I no, it's too much like a voce. Like, it's not what I want to do. I, I'm really interested in design. And he's like, great, you can be on our design team. I have zero, right. I mean, I have vision for design, but I don't have skills. Of, so I'm, so you said no to that. Well, when I realized it's like actually sitting in an office and like at a computer all day, I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to so do that. So <laughs> now I'm like, I, I'm coming home from work now knowing that she's most likely there. And are you liking your job at this point? Yeah, yeah. I've you always are. liked it. You're liking oh, it. Oh, yeah. I always liked it. I always liked it. And I, I loved like the the um, action of it, the competitiveness, the building relationships and trust. Like that stuff I loved, I I, I still do for sure. Like I... I I loved what I did, nothing like what I feel now. Yes. But I would come home from work. I was at a hedge fund, um, and I would text her and be like, I just grabbed two pork chops at Anna Minnelli. Let's do something. <laughs> and she's like, dude, that doesn't fit with my diet. But yeah, I'll come up, and let's do something. So I'm like, you know, whenever I get pork chops, I always do like that whole that hot and sweet pepper vinegar and stuff. And I kind of want to do something else. And she's like, oh, cool. Like, let's open something up. And she just like <laughs> finds an onion and she chars it and she sees some peaches and she makes this peach like puree and and throws olives in there and we grill it and mustard, literally mustard. smoke. Yeah, mustard. Like we literally smoke out my apartment. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? She's like, high heat, high heat. Heat. And I'm like, right. okay, but the fire department's going to come. Hilarious. She's like, shut up. Just yeah. open the windows. And during this time, she's like, what else do you have in this place? And she's like, I just want a salad. Do you have any dressing? And I'm like, yeah, just go in there. And she's like, are you kidding me? Wishbone Italian right. dressing? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, I don't know what it's doing there. I was like, Maria, what is it doing there? Well, that's funny. And, she, and Maria's like, I don't know. Hot potato with the so, wishbone. Yeah. yeah. So, so Missy's like tasting it. And she's like, open up your cupboard. And she takes out all these spices and makes her version of wishbone dressing, which by the way, is now the dressing that you tasted on our little gem it's at amazing. Lilia. Yeah. So we're having these like experiences. I'm also tasting this food that she's cooking for herself on Weight Watchers as support. And selfishly, I'm like, hey, instead of making one, why don't you make a bunch of those and we'll eat with you? Yeah. I'm now tasting things that I've never tasted in my life. And I thought she was the best chef before. And I'm now like, holy moly. Every type of pepper, all these vinegars, zero fats, citrus, every part of a citrus. It's an incredible story picturing the two of you at this place in your lives. You almost quitting. You and your, you know, being this finance guy, young family at home. I'm being inspired. And finding this relationship that's like, obviously, you started, must have started getting something out of it too, that somebody was passionate about what you were doing. Well, I think I had companionship that I yeah. needed, yeah. Uh, to be honest I with just, you. I mean, right. I, I wasn't thinking of it in any other way other than like, it's a pretty cool thing to have neighbors that, that you like. And I was alone a lot. And I like, I think when you're not, when you're not employed, like I have a huge network of friends. I grew up in Connecticut. So I have a lot of very old friends that live here. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that I, but like when you're not employed, you spend a lot of time by yourself. And there was a and time, And so yes. by six o'clock, like you think you're like, oh, I'm cool. And then by six o'clock, you're like, oh my I God, I'm going to. Also <laughs> upstairs, my daughter's literally running around like yeah, crazy. 
So I would say like, come on up. We would sit there and just talk. And at this point now, it's it's middle to the end of 2013. And I'm all in on this relationship. It's become more than friends. It's a family. Like we have our doors open all the time. My daughter's fourth word she ever said was Missy Pasta. She sure. literally called yeah. Missy, Missy Pasta. So I'm all in. I'm I'm challenging her. I'm trying to figure out like, how do we, how do you get to this place where you're going to be excited? You should be an owner and all this stuff. And I do want to, but own he's my own challenging restaurant. me to the point where like, I'm almost aggravated, which, which he still does now, yeah, six I mean, years later, where sure. like he just fire and, and I appreciate it now, but he like fires a lot of questions and those questions make you have to dig a they're little, unsettling. they're unsettling and you feel like I, you feel like you're getting put a little bit on defense and that made me very uncomfortable but I now know, I mean, now I know that it's like six years later, that's just his way. I see him do it with everyone. And at the end of 2013, I could sense she was getting a little nervous, anxious. You know, the, that leisure of the lady of leisure of the West Village, the time was running out. And I said one night, blurted out that I, we, we believe in you and we, we love you, Marie and I, and we're going to do whatever you need us to do to support you. And when I said that, I swear to God, it meant that we were just gonna go to her restaurant every single night. If that's what we had to do, we were gonna pack that restaurant. Whatever your restaurant was I think it also meant that like, he he wouldn't let me like, become homeless Starve. and have to move out yeah. of my apartment. Like, yeah. I don't- I don't know how that was gonna happen, but like- But I think that is I sort of what you meant. And, like. and a few weeks later, <laughs> I learned that that was gonna be a little bit more than me just going out to to her restaurant, and what she started doing all these tastings for 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 big time restaurateurs, and um, so her her first one wasn't like exactly what she wanted to hear, and it was more of like I was going to be encouraging and say just keep on going, and then she met with somebody who just was as successful and big, and they were really into it, and she was really excited about it, and then somebody else gave her an offer and she was really pumped about it. And I listened to it and I had this moment where I was like, huh. Well, hang on, back up. Yes. I wasn't pumped about it. Tell. I was I was feeling like I really needed to go back to work. And a person was offering me, you know, a deal and an immediate salary to do that deal. To take over their restaurant but or open your own? To open with them. and But something in me knew that it did not feel right. That like, wasn't your ideal partner. It was not. And and for a variety of reasons and we don't need to go into it, but it was it didn't it just didn't feel right. right. And and between my lawyer who's also a very good friend of mine and Sean and everyone being like that's not the right that's not right. It also You knew that the marriage wasn't right or the deal wasn't both. right or both. 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 And I I really believe that what she had told me I didn't think that it was going to be a long-term successful or or she w it wasn't going to be long-term happy. And I then was like, all right, well, the way we could try to help support you is like everybody's going to want to work with you. So let's get more offers and like negotiate between people. And like so you volunteered to help this. negotiate? No, just like no, advice. No, just listen. Advice. Just literally like listen and like any support she wanted to listen to, I was there for. And then my – Literally, family, my mom, dad, my sister, my wife, my daughter, and I went to a three-day vacation in Bermuda. It yeah. was the first vacation I had taken literally since we got married after the honeymoon. And um, I just turned to Maria, and I was not thinking about finance. I wasn't thinking about anything except for Missy, and it just came out. I said, we should figure out a way to do this with Missy. And we believe in her. We think we trust her. We love her as like a family member. I, th I think we should do this. This makes so much sense. And my wife was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, seriously, Sean, what I what are you talking about? Right. I've never made a crazy investment at this point in my life. Every bonus check I ever got, I put in the bank. I was not a person that like was a cowboy, even though- You weren't living big cowboy oh, life. No, you no. were spending money on dinners, It basically. had nothing to do, and it wasn't my money, by the way. It was somebody else's money right, at Right, you dinners. have saying, you would go to the expensive restaurants on the- On the company. On the company, and then you guys would do your yeah. Monday night yeah, some, dinners in a more modest way. I was cheap. Way. I was just being very frugal, frugal. Conservative, conservative and frugal. <laughs> so I said this thing out loud, and Maria was like, what, what are you talking about? I said, no, no, I'm not gonna leave my job, because I, initially she was like, you can't leave. I was like, I'm not going to. We can do this where 
financially will be the support and whatever we don't put in, we'll find it and then we'll help manage the finances and operations and it's going to be perfect. Yeah. And my wife was like, okay, well, if you will be the mm -hmm. same dad and husband, then I'm in. Literally after 20 minutes, she's like, let's go. I texted Missy. I'm going to be home in two days. I have, I have something to show you, but I think that we should probably be partners. Immediately. That was in your text? Yes. Immediately. You immediately she said, said no. She I says no. She's just like, absolutely no. By the way. With a lot of Very inert part, like very normal part of my personality. Yeah. Her first reaction is never the one that you want to. But, but also no. I'm getting makes, better. I'm getting but also no better. makes, no makes sense because you guys have this friendship. Yeah. You're an outsider of the business, which partially helps the friendship. Mm -hmm. And she's seen the way restaurant partnerships happen. So, I mean, well, no also, I think, I think for me, I had this fantasy um, of like the partner being the front of house person. And I didn't just want a finance guy. I wanted, and I didn't want someone just to raise money and sit on the sidelines. I wanted someone to go to work with every day. And I wanted someone to, to, to be that support that I was missing before. Sure. And, and the greatest jobs I had had were, were like, there was an amazing front of house partner, yeah. um, as, as a chef, you know, I mean, Spiaja, the, the GM and I, like that was, that was, uh, an you were amazing, in it together. we were in yeah. it together and that's what I wanted. So him saying like, we'll raise money and blah, blah, blah. I, it just didn't. It wasn't what it you didn't, wanted, exactly. But it's also, you lose a lot on texting. Yeah, so I came <laughs> home and I had yeah. this like little business plan I made up and I have never done that before. I was always an employee, I was never entrepreneurial. And I came to her when I got home from the vacation. I said, this is it. You have to say yes to this. This is the, this is, this is best for you. Did you know where the restaurant was going to be? No, we wanted it to be across the street in Via Crota. Like right. that's, <laughs> that, we wanted to be in the West Village where we yeah, were thanks, raising Jerry. our family. And so- <laughs> Immediately, she just looks at it and she's like, listen, absolutely effing not. This isn't, I appreciate you, but I have to go with somebody that's done it before. I was like, okay, do not say no that fast. You cannot say no that fast. I'm going to go upstairs, but please think about this. And I went upstairs after 10 minutes. Maria was like, what happened? I said, she said no. She's like, that's it? I said, yeah. She said no. And Maria was like, well, what are, what are you going to do? And I was like, we're going to, she's going to say yes. And so for the next four months, every single night I'd come home from the hedge fund, I would knock on her door and like literally- Did you take it seriously? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely she saw. I, I definitely took it seriously. I was, again, I, I was terrified. I was, I, the, the biggest issue for me is like, I just kept seeing the bank account dwindle and I was like, how, how, how am I going to get paid? Like, even if I say yes to him- we're not going to open a restaurant for two years. Like we That's have what to find. Oh yeah, and she said that. And we I have was to find a space. We have to build it out. We have to find a designer. We have to find money. Because you want to do it the right way. You also need I to do it the right way. Yeah, if you're I never do, do things the and wrong I would, way. Right? I so saying, I don't do them like half. Yeah, half. you're going to do yeah. it. Yeah. I was saying, listen, don't worry about finances. And she's like, how can you possibly say that? And I was like, you'll get a job. Like if we really need to figure this out you'll get a job and income. She's like, you think it's so easy. Like, how do you know? And I'm like, I don't know, but I know I'm pretty sure. Literally two days later, she gets a call to do this consulting job for six months that like that actually a big consulting she job. Was, she was killing it, probably making more than me at that time. <laughs> and like, I was like, see, I told you, which I've never said, but, uh, but so then all those months, those four months of her continuously yeah. saying no to me, I would be at work looking online at all these companies that I loved, whether it was uh, Apple, Nike, Goldman Sachs, all of these companies have a website and they would have these missions and the values. And I'm like, this is it. Like I, I always saw Missy as not a chef. Like she was the best chef in the, in, in the world, in my opinion. But I also saw so much more of her. I saw her as this executive that I wanted to be partners with and, and start a company with, not a restaurant. And I would go to her at, after work and say, hey, let's talk about why we're doing this, the reason. And she said, what are you talking about? And we would sit there and like talk about a, a, a statement that would simply state our intentions. And then the values, which we knew we had shared because of our backgrounds and our endless meals together. We knew that. How did you decide to throw in? I think it was one meal. It was a meal. It, I mean, we we went we went to a meal and we had a conversation. 
What's the name of the place on Seventh on Avenue? Like right over here. Uh, it's a, like a little Italian place, neighborhood place. You don't remember the meal? That's great. <laughs> oh, that was during the day. It wasn't at No, it dinner. wasn't. It was at night. It was 6 o'clock at night. On Seventh um, Avenue near... near um... Um, it has like a green sign. It's like... All right. Anyway, yes. it's a little neighborhood Italian place. It was close to the house. We went there and we had this conversation and I kind of laughed and was like, okay, I... I I'm I'm seeing it more, and I think it was the conversation about about having a company, about you know a lot of the conversations I was having with these other people, and a lot of the reasons why it didn't work out. Um, you know, one of my favorite, and I, I thank you, Danny Meyer, for having this conversation with me when I met with Danny, um, who who oh, was always sort yeah. of like the dream of who who I wanted to work with, and I had a couple really incredible meetings with him and Richard, his, his number two. And I, Danny said to me in the very first meeting, he said, when, when are you happiest? Are you happiest with a pan in your hand? And I said, no, I'm not happiest with a pan in my hand. I'm happiest when I'm planning and mentoring and creating, and I don't need to sit in the kitchen all day with a pan in my hand. And it kind of came to light then that I, I, I did want to be more of an entrepreneur and I still wanted to be the chef and I wanted to control the food and I wanted to control the kitchen, but I, I didn't want to have to be in the kitchen 24-7. Sure, because um, the grow, you wanted to grow. Right. And so I think Sean, I think, understood that and I think he saw that and I think everyone else that I saw, like every some people would pay me lip service and say... Yeah, yeah, we see it. That's cool. We get you want to. We get what you want to do. But like, I kind of knew that I'd end up in the same position at Avoce, being like a fake partner, you know, with fake equity, with n- not a. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Danny himself not, would have made not, a good deal with you. Danny, Danny separate. Danny. Yes, I'm saying that, I'm sure Danny. Danny was more. Danny, the conversations with Danny and Richard were incredible, and and they really what they really did. Listen, they sat me down. They said, "Listen, we we love you. We don't have anything for you. Right. We don't we don't have we don't have the right thing." Richard, I remember him sitting me down and asking me in 400 different ways, "Are you sure you want to cook Italian? Do you like Moroccan? Right. You do you like Northern Italy? Do you like Southern Italy? Like." And I just kept saying, yeah, I'm not done with Italian. And what they were trying to get at was they had an Italian brand already, and they didn't want another one. And, right. I, and I respect that. And so yes. – um, I like think that saves you from wasting a lot of time. Dur- during this time too – And I was devastated, by the way. When they – that day, that's, that's the only time that I walked away from a meeting with tears in my eyes – and I, it was at North North End Grill with Richard. Danny wasn't there, and he sort of said, "We don't we we don't have anything." And I remember walking back up the West Side to to our house in the West Village. It was just like tears and oh. being like, "Ah, I couldn't get the one thing that I actually wanted." So Dory, you invited them, and that had they never come and that Lillian? had never oh, yeah. happened. By the way, yeah. I had always gotten everything I wanted, right. so I wasn't. But they used also to that. did say, if you do find the partner when you're ready, we're ready. We can. We would love to help talk. In any way that we can. Right. So during this time when she consistently said best. no to me every single night for four months, I knew the reason why. It was because of the risk. I had never done it before. So I decided for the first time in my entire life that I was going to attempt to monetize a serious relationship where I went to all of my friends that I met for the last from 2003 until 2014, all of those restaurants that I became friends with, I essentially went and said, I, I need some help here because I'm gonna do this with a really well-known chef and I need to know exactly how these things run. And I essentially asked and pleaded for P&Ls. I asked for the ability to learn how you order food and beverage and basically went to school every night that I wasn't with her after I left my job. And in those four months, I got the confidence to say, hey, by the way, like, not only do we have to do this together because it's the right thing for you, but I'm also going to be able to perform the way you can. And I'm going to match you in your ability to create the best restaurant that you've ever dreamed of in terms of a menu well, and design. Yeah, because of course, I'm going to match you. Well, because of course you ended up getting your and front of the house did, part. And he did end up meeting with Richard Crane, actually. And as soon as, 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 soon as I just said Danny's yes, partner or Danny's yeah, number two. I, yeah, I... I Texted Richard and I and went I into that s- meeting like a like a, a laser. Like I already had the plan. Like I didn't want him to think he was going to tell me how to sure. run the restaurant, even though 
he should have and I needed that, but I wanted to let him know this is what I've done. This is what I believe we can do together. And he obviously looked at my number and he's like, You're insane. I basically but good luck. sent him to Richard though to get like Richard and Richard's blessing. Right. Because that's how much I respected did Richard. He, did he give you his blessing? Yeah, he did. But like I don't I don't think he knew that that's what I was doing. I understand. But like that's what and, I and, was doing. And, and I just wanna jump ahead here because we're gonna have to do part two at some point of the way you Sean, you end up quitting your job and What's you know amazing when you go into your restaurants is that you, the two of you are that kind of partnership that you wanted, where yep. you're both you both do all these different functions, but he handles this front of the house. You have this team. Yeah, you have a growing series of things that you're doing together, and you got three stars at both your restaurants in New York Times. Yeah, and nobody can get a reservation at either Lilia or Missy, and um. And the whole thing is, one. do you have satisfaction now doing this? Does it feel different? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, feel, I love it. Just I to wrap up. I am happier than I've it, ever been. Yeah, you are, I, right? Yes. I, 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 and the restaurants aren't, I just will say, um, it's the, when I go back to eating pasta, like I, I, that's the first thing I'm going to do is go to both restaurants. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's, you, I mean, you know what? You best. can eat pasta in moderation, Brian. Um, I can't. You know, Some you, you can. ask about the satisfaction, and I think the biggest thing for for our when I said yes to him was to say to him listen like I have this lifestyle now I've created a healthy place for myself mentally and physically and I just want you to know I'm not going back to working 16 hour a day six days a week and I'm gonna have boundaries and I'm gonna keep going to Pilates and when I have Pilates I'm not showing up to a meeting and I've stuck to that for five years now four yeah. years and, and, and I and when when I when she said finally said yes I, my whole objective in this thing was going to be whatever she needed me to help her with this thing, great, but it wasn't going to become my profession. And um, as soon as she did say yes, I could understand that, that my responsibilities were going to be a little bit more and more and more and more and more to the point where after the first month of us opening this restaurant, I was there every single night. I was literally doing what I was doing when I had all those business meetings. I was doing it on the floor of our restaurant and it was... It was incredible. And I wasn't even thinking about the fact that I was going to work at 5.30 a.m., rushing to the restaurant, essentially breaking that one promise I made to yeah, my wife immediately. And one night after we had opened the first month of us being in business, we're on the Williamsburg Bridge home in an Uber at 1.30 a.m., getting going over back to the West Village. And Missy literally says, are you okay? And I was like, I'm amazing. Like I feel, ama I feel great. This is incredible. And she goes, "All right," because she literally was the only person that knew that I was doing that. And she just said, "Look, you got to keep on coming to this restaurant. You got to keep on doing this because you're really good at it, and and people seem to really like you, and they're 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 looking to you to you leave." You recognize the front of house thing in a conscious well, way. Well, that and also, you know, the 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 front of house. You know, when you open. It's a little different now. Like I can, I can have a little more involvement and everything. But that that those first few months at Lilia, oh yeah, I I was so focused on making sure the food was good and the kitchen was tight and and we we had good front of house people. But yeah, I, he has this very natural now, ability I did, with people. I did everything wrong. She would yell oh, at me every single night. Yeah. You know, we had people that were forty five minutes late on a table. Older people, I would bring them uh, two glasses of Prosecco. I'd turn around thinking I did something amazing, looking for her like, <laughs> like great job, buddy. And she had this face as red as a sandwich on a tomato, like summonsing me over to the pass, which by the way, I didn't even know what a pass was at the time. And she said, don't you ever bring anybody drinks without a tray. This is not a fraternity. And I was like, oh. But that so happened like every All of these I lessons, <laughs> I was like, okay, keep on telling me. I need to know that. But I do know what I'm hearing from everybody around here. They love this place and we're doing it. And by the way, we're also, I thought we were gonna lose money for the first four months. We were profitable in the first week. Something was happening. People that I looked up to my entire life and read about, had books about them, memoirs, titans of every industry were giving me their card every night in hopes that they could get a reservation from me. I didn't even have a card to give them because it was too expensive. So I would basically say, oh, uh, please give me your card and I'll email you the next day. And I just remember that crazy period in the first couple months and Missy saying like, you need to come. And I'm like, I am, this is it. This is exactly what I wanna do. And I went home that night and woke up Maria, started apologizing because I broke the trust. 
And she didn't let me finish. And she was just like, let's just go. Like, we'll move to Williamsburg. Let's go. And that night was it for me because of all the times that I gave Missy that belief in her, she gave it, she gave it back then to you. Maria yeah. was the one as well as like encouraging me. Like she knew she's known me since I was 16. She saw something. Our lives were changing right. and she wasn't going to stand in the way and she sacrificed so much. So we literally just, we went, we went really hard. Bad. I mean, it's incredible. And um, I remember like after the six week of Lilia being open, Pete came in three times and that review is coming out. And I remember that whole process of going through it as so surreal as you can possibly imagine. I was such a fan of restaurants and dining. I would read that thing religiously. And now he's doing it on us, but it's the biggest thing of her life, which by the way, we didn't want to make it that because it wasn't why we opened the restaurant. But, but I it still ends up being the biggest of thing of your life. <laughs> but I remember like I offered everybody in our restaurant $200 for the first person who spotted Pete Wells. Whoever spotted him enter the door, they get 200 cash. Then we made these big um, fat faces of all of the of, of like the uh, people coming to write. And, and we just trained of like, we're going to dominate this thing. And sure enough, we got it. And the first six weeks, it was like, it was like the Stone Pony in the early 70s. Every yeah. week that guy would come, Bruce, it would get a little bit busier and busier. But then when they wrote The Future of Rock and Roll, like literally Pete Wells wrote that review and it was gone. It was gone after six and weeks. It still has been. Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys did it. Yeah. And the two of you did it together. And it's really inspiring to see. And um, you should all try to get reservations at these places. Maybe tell them that you heard uh, them talk on this podcast. <laughs> the moment. Help. For Lilia, you got to do what? The first of the, what is it? The first of the month? Both. How do, what do people do? Every, 30 days out. Every so night. Like, 30 days out at both places. Every night yeah. at 12 a.m. it comes online. And do you take walk-ins? Yeah. We do at both restaurants. We do. Yeah. Right. And if you're nice and you're staying there, you might get some Prosecco while you're, while you're waiting. It'll definitely be on a tray. And it'll in be a on red, a tray. In a red little cup. Sean's Instagram is really worth following if you like uh, seeing a dad living up to his promises. Mm -hmm. A lot of stuff with his kids, with Missy, and eating pasta, and saying no to him about hugs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Missy, where can they find you on social? At Missy A. Robbins. On Instagram yeah. also. And I don't have kids. I'm sorry. That's not. Yeah, you do. His. So my kids are her godsons. Yeah, no, I get the whole thing. It's yeah. obvious. And um, <laughs> you can find me at Brian Kaufman on Twitter. You can email me themomentbk at gmail.com. It's really unlikely I'll help you get a reservation at Lily or Missy, um, even though I can go anytime I want. Okay, everybody. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>